Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another quarantined episode of The Cool Kids Table. Whenever the cool kids said they just bought a table. Do you guys ever find yourself just singing the theme song all around your house? No? Just me? (laughs) It's actually going to become a running joke, another quarantined episode of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I hope not. But if that's where we're headed, it's a-okay. How are you doing, Maggie? You're actually in a yet a different location recording this episode of the podcast. I know. I feel like I'm hashtag quarantine blessed. I feel sort of guilty about it. But right now, we're staying in an absolutely gorgeous house in Georgia. It's been nice because we were able to see my family, and now we're able to see Michael's family. Our family. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And I've actually never spent significant time in Georgia, so I might just be a Southern girl after this. Uh-oh. More to come. Stay tuned on the Cool Kids table for Maggie's transition into country folk. Will y'all still love me? <laughs> I'll still love you for sure. First of all, one thing that we just want to talk about, Broadway is now slated for a September 6th open, at least. It's probably the new year, you know, 2021 is probably when things will open back up again. And that is definitely a scary thought. Um, hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that it it happens earlier than that if it's safe. But, you know, all we can do right now is embrace it and focus on our bodies and our minds and try to stay as healthy as possible. Yeah, it really is just crazy to think about, like, because Broadway is such a staple of my life. I mean, you know this, I'm always seeing shows, I love them so much. So I mean, I'm just so sad to hear this news. But I think the most important thing is that these actors can stay safe. Because yes, I'm sure audiences can socially distance themselves in the audience. But that doesn't mean these actors aren't on top of each other, their wardrobe people are on top of them, their wig people are on top of them until it's safe for them to do the shows. I think that's the most important thing we need to think about. Oh, absolutely. What was the last show you saw? before this whole mess. Jagged Little Pill. No surprise that that was the show I saw, Jagged Little Pill. I saw it, yeah, right before all this noise happened. It's just, it's crazy to think about it. Another thing that's happening is the actors' equity elections are happening, and we wanted to shout out Vicki Clark, who's running for Eastern Principal Counselor. Um, the ballots are in your mailbox right now if you're home, so make sure you vote for Vicki. Please vote for Vicki. She's been a staple of Broadway. She really cares about the community and the union, and she's amazing. Check out her Instagram, too, and she has a lot of information on there. Oh, my God. Another thing that I did that I really wanted to mention was I did a coconut oil mask for my hair. Okay, Maggie. My hair has been really brittle and dry lately, and I don't want to put chemicals in it like VO5. I don't want to do like a hot treatment. I wanted to do something natural. A few people, my mom and some other friends on Instagram did a refined coconut oil mask. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I just basically spread the coconut oil all over my hair. I braided my hair and I left it in for 24 hours. And when I blow dried it, it came out so nice and healthy. So if you're looking for a way this is not an ad. I just love refined coconut oil. This is so fascinating. <laughs> but you can do it too. I mean, guys can do it as well. Hashtag recommend. Okay. I will definitely not do that. <laughs> but y'all should definitely take care of your hair. You know what I'm saying? You know what I think we should talk about, Maggie? I think, well, really quickly, some good news has come to an end. He finished the show for now, he says. He wore pants on the final episode, which was a big running joke. But on SGN, though, the whole cast of The Office showed up to dance at a Zoom wedding and I just thought that was so fun. I cried. Did you see the video of that? Yes, I cried. Yeah, it was amazing. So SGN, thank you, John Krasinski, for everything you did. I think you highlighted the kindness in the world and all the good people during this very hard time. And that's what we're trying to do on this podcast too. Speaking of which, we always like to start off every episode with a random fact of kindness. Random facts of kindness. 
So I have a really good one today, Maggie. So according to our good friends over at thegoodnewsnetwork.org, which is, you know, we love their site. We love everything they post. But they said that there was an anonymous donor who gifted $8 million to pay student debt for over 400 California grads. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. And he did it all through this uh, organization, which is also the charity we would like to shout out called SRA, which is Students Rising Above. And they noticed all the college grads through Zoom, ironically enough. This is also not an ad for Zoom. Um, And SRA is a San Fran-based nonprofit organization that helps send low-income, first-generation college students through college. And they provide personal guidance, mentoring, internships, career guidance. It's amazing. So that's also our charity of the week. Uh, You can find more information at studentsrisingabove.org. And we'll definitely put the link in the show notes. Amen. That's such a good one. I like that it's a combined, you know, it's a random fact of kindness and a charity all wrapped into one. I love it, Spiro. Charities are kind and we're featuring all these charities during this time. So even look back at our other episodes and see which charities we've been featuring, check them out and definitely send some love if you can. I mean, not everyone can right now, but if you can definitely support these uh, organizations that are definitely in need right now. Amen, honey bun. Maybe this is a good time to talk about our guest. Connor Ryan is a dear friend of mine, and we are so stoked to welcome him to the table. Actually, Spiro, when we were first conceptualizing this podcast, we wrote a mock episode as if we were going to interview Connor. So he was kind of the inspiration behind this. He's really been on our dream list since day one. And probably because not only is he one of the most gifted singers and actors on Broadway, but he has one of the most beautiful souls. Connor made his Broadway debut in Cinderella. He was seen in Fortress of Solitude at the public. He starred in the off-Broadway hit Desperate Measures, John and Jen opposite Kate Baldwin, My Very Own British Invasion. He was seen in JCS Live with John Legend and Sarah Bareilles, and his most coveted singing role was singing Almost Paradise as the first dance at my wedding. Here's one of my favorite clips of him singing. You know what? Let's do that. Let's have him just sing himself in. It's good to be alive. Ladies and gentlemen, Connor Ryan is on the Cool Kids Table podcast. What's up? Yeah, we're so happy to have you, buddy. How have you been doing during this quarantine? How have you been filling your time? Like, talk to us a little bit. How to fill the time and yet somehow is gone before you know it. Like the day is over and and you're like, wait, I don't have enough time. And yet that's all I have. Um, That's how I feel is endless time that seems to be running out. Um, I have been, let's see, I've been trying to write some music actually, um, something that I've been interested in for a long time, but haven't really had the patience with myself to allow 
the time for that because it's a really slow process for me. So I've been trying to write a little music that's been nice. But honestly, I've been spending a lot of time like nesting, taking care of my home and my plants and my foster dog that I got um, at the start of all this, Xena, my little warrior princess. She's this beautiful black and white pit bull mix. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. She's totally been saving my ass during this because I live alone. So I just moved into this place and December and I was gone for a few months and then come back to this and like almost imprisoned inside inside the place so I wasn't used to being totally alone so I got this pup and um, it's been really nice. Do you have any intentions of adopting this little angel or are you just going to foster? I don't know it's it's hard I go back and forth because my life normally does not involve me home 24 hours a day and this dog is a dog that really really suffers from some separation anxiety yeah exactly exactly thank you she's 12 years old so it's 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 probably a little hard to shake that off of her she she hasn't been with me for too long just a couple months but I can imagine after all this is done, we're going to have spent so much time together that I'm not going to be able to muster the courage to give her up. But ask me in September, you guys. Okay, we'll follow up with you in September. But so are you really enjoying your space, though? Because I know when we moved into our new place, we made an effort to make it really our own. And I can see that you've done that. And you have a lot of plants. It's very Connor over there. Every apartment (laughs) I visited you at when you just had a one singular room, it was so beautifully put together. So I can imagine what you've done with your own apartment. Is it feeling like your own safe space? It is, Maggie. Oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks to you visiting me in Astoria. It is. You're so right. My environment is really important to me. It's actually why right when I moved to New York and started auditioning, I was always really firm about not auditioning for um, national tours or, or like ships, even though there's so much really good money and really good jobs and really good stuff in both of those sort of job markets. But the idea of living hotel room to hotel room and like living out of a suitcase all the time, that would really, I think, mess with my mental health and my just sort of sense of stability. I don't know if it's because I grew up moving around a ton. The longest I was ever at one school was four years of college. That's how much we moved. And so I don't know if that's left over from that, but yeah, my space is like really important to me. I would so much rather spend my money on rugs and like (laughs) frames and pots and curtains than like on fancy sneakers or like cool gadgets and stuff. I'm kind of the same way though. I knew when I went to New York, I wasn't really so interested in going on a ship or doing a tour because I'm just not good living out of a suitcase. I need some grounding in my life. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because when I was in seventh grade, my parents like pulled me out of nowhere to a new school and a new place. That move alone just shook me to the to really wanting to be grounded. So I can't imagine what it was like moving so often as a kid. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a major part of my identity. This sort of like um we're not allowed to use the word gypsy anymore, but my my I was raised with a mom who self-identified as a, a nomad, somebody who is um 
always on the move. She's proud of that. She's just like, she loves to just pick up and go. People are like, oh, army brat? I'm like, no, a single mom couldn't sit still. That's always what I say. <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because it was kind of one of the first questions I wanted to ask you because I know that that relationship with your mother has really impacted your life and formed who you are today. And in every single playbill of every show I've ever seen you in, you always write that the show is for your mom. So if you wouldn't mind, would you talk a little bit about how your mom has inspired you over the years and how she doing right now? Yeah, I'd love to. My mom's name is Trish, Trish the Dish. You can find her on Instagram, blow up her followers, cool kids table. She <laughs> is, she's awesome. She's like, she's my best friend. She's, you know, like I said, I grew up with a single mom and, and my two older siblings are 10 and seven years older. So they're quite a bit older. My brother Miguel, the eldest, growing up without a dad kind of was more of a dad type figure for me than a brother even. So for the latter portion, it was sort of felt like I was an only child with my mom. And like I said, you know, we moved around a lot. And so that kind of relationship, single parent, lone child in a new community in new town that's like really intimate and and bonding and um yeah we're we're really close she lives in monterey which is actually monterey california which is actually up in the area where i was born and she just moved back there in the last few years she's doing well she still works full-time she's a physical therapist she's always worked full-time my my whole life also physical therapy apparently uh industry we can get work anywhere because no matter where we ever wanted to be wherever we wanted to go she was always able to get work well it's actually it's funny that you guys that the theme of the podcast is kindness and that you one of the first questions you bring up is is to talk about my mom because one of the things i thought about when you were talking to me about kindness and um the relevance you know to, to the podcast i was thinking of how I was raised always, you can be beautiful, great, I don't really care. You can be smart, great. You can be successful, great. But unless you're kind, I don't want anything to do with you. That was sort of how we were raised. So, you know, my mom grew up Irish Catholic family, one of eight girls in Phoenix, Arizona. The youngest, her youngest sister, Janie, my mom is the fifth in the lineup of eight. And Janie, the youngest, was born with the severest form of cerebral palsy that's possible. And so my mom grew up with this, you know, handicapped sister and with these sort of badass salt of the earth, classic American. My grandfather was an FBI agent, fought in World War II, you know, my grandma was the stay-at-home wife feeding eight mouths and simultaneously taking care of this, you know, severely handicapped child. I think my mom just was sort of raised in that good old-fashioned American, you know, and, and went to Catholic school where those, you know, you can say what you want to say about religion and I could talk about that for, for, for a long time. I'm, I'm not necessarily a religious person but i do believe that like the teachings of the or that are in the bible and and the teachings of the church about ethics and um those kind of values that's certainly something that had a big effect on my mom and even though i don't necessarily you know think she would self-identify as a catholic anymore i still think that those values are left over and still raised with you know yeah 
You know, it's funny though. My dad, he always had this saying in the house. It was, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And his mother taught him that saying, and it was something we said always. And when I got into college, I, I have a friend, Kevin Green, who I met doing summer stock and he made me this painting and it says, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And we hang it in our kitchen and we look at it every single day. And it's, you know, it's the same feeling of good for you if you have a big job, but if you're not nice at the end of the day, you, you don't have anything. Yeah, it's so true. Oh my gosh. Connor, how did your mother kind of instill the love of theater, the love of singing? Was that something she instilled in you or you found on your own? No, I don't know where that came from. Like my Miguel and Katie, my siblings growing up, who was my sister growing up is now my brother. Um, He's trans, female to male. Anyways, I just wanted to clarify that because I said Katie, but they were super into soccer super 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 duper into soccer their dad that we have uh, different dads and their dad was a professional soccer player i think he may have even played on the mexican national team then you know out comes me this little like attention seeking sponge <laughs> i think it was just i think it was just one of those things where like we were always always in a minivan to some tournament or some championship or whatever and i was always like you know waddling around the sidelines of a of a soccer field so i think it was one of these things where my single mom just she had no time on her hands and a kid who was super energetic had a ton of energy and loved needed attention (laughs) i think it just kind of just became like an obvious option and yeah i can't even remember how or where it started but just like i was in plays and singing and taking dance class like as long as I can remember. I don't even I don't know how or where it started to be honest. What inspired you to go to Walnut Hill, which is a performing arts high school and pretty intense performing arts high school? Yeah, actually I so before Walnut Hill was Perry Mansfield this summer camp in the Rockies in Colorado, which is an, another place we lived when I was like 3 4, we lived in Steamboat Springs, Colorado and discovered this amazing amazing crunchy granola like (laughs) dance in the woods barefoot to a beating drum fucking (laughs) summer camp can i swear on this i'm sorry yes of course of course just like paint in your hair and like riding horses living in cabins but like writing poems (laughs) and you know like that was that that was like this place perry mansfield was so important formation of like my personal identity as an artist i am so rooted in that place like it used to be where like the juilliard dance faculty um ran a dance summer program there every summer. It was run by this woman named Linda Kent, who used to run the modern program at Juilliard or the program at Juilliard. And it was this incredible mix of New York City artists in this random town in the Rockies. Yeah. Anyway, so I started going to camp there when I was 10. And then one summer, a scout from a school in California called Idlewild came to Perry Mansfield and saw our production of like Sweet Charity. I was just in the in the chorus, but oh, so mad I was in the chorus. <laughs> <you guys. laughs> Do you guys know Britton Smith? Yes. 
Yes. Britain was there that summer. He played Big Daddy. <laughs> we actually have a clip from that very production. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. I would die. <laughs> So yeah, they, a scout came and um, we went to uh, we went to out to Idlewild and um, I auditioned and I got in. Cut to opposite coast. So right. this is a, a boarding school in Southern California, and at this point we're living in Rhode Island. And I was just, it was just me and my mom at this point. And I auditioned for Idlewild and I got in, and she was like. Ugh. Will you wait a year and look at some other schools closer to home? You know, because that's really far. And I was like, yeah. So I waited a year and I applied to um, Interlochen and Idlewild and Walnut Hill. And Walnut Hill was in Boston, super close to Rhode Island, and also ended up just being the best option for me, I think. I liked it the best as well. Yeah, so that's, that's what ended up bringing me there. I did a summer program there. Did you know? Oh my gosh. I think I did. I think I did know that at some point in the deep recesses of my mind. That was the first little peek into the world of competitiveness and musical theater. I had no idea until I went to that summer camp and I saw people that were 14 years old and the, the like harsh reality of the way they taught and how cutthroat it was i was like geez i came to have like to sing a song and have some fun and it was so intense yeah that's what high school was like <laughs> i think most of the people that go there they do end up going to conservatory programs right yeah yeah which is god that was the hardest part was senior year so think about it the whole the whole student body at Walnut Hills, 250 students, and there's art major, music major, theater major, ballet major, creative writing at that time. I think they call it something different now. So let's say like around 50 to 100 students per major, mm -hmm. and then divide that by four. So I'm, I'm in a class of like 20 theater students at Walnut Hill, and we all auditioned and applied to the same 10 schools. Right. All of us. How often do high schoolers have to deal with that? I mean, I guess once in a while, the really, really, really competitive high schoolers, all they're all going for the same Ivies. But n normally, you know, that was a really weird, that was a really weird part of, of high school. But I wouldn't, I would never do that, that process over again. The, the being there and auditioning for the college theater programs. Two questions. First one being, was there someone in Walnut Hill that was extremely kind to you that kind of like showed you a different side of that competitive edge? And then my other question is, what did that competitive teach you about who you are today? Because I don't see you as that person, that cutthroat person who would do anything to get a part. I just see you as like, this is me and this is, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And if it works, it works. Well, thank you so much for all that you just said. I mean, there have been so many kindnesses and so many kind people in every step of my life and my journey to where I am as an actor or as an artist. But certainly at Walnut Hill, you know, the you know, the professors in the theater department and I had some really incredible like student life deans of students and stuff who were really, really kind to me too. I'll never forget the head of the theater program, Joe Cabral, 
such an amazing man. He still runs the theater program there now. He recently was texting me, you know, how strange it is to be teaching all of his classes, his acting classes right now over Zoom for these high school students. I can't imagine how difficult that transition must be, but he seemed really, really game. He's like, we're, we're going to make it work, you know, just totally, totally his can-do attitude. When I work, I'm really intense. <laughs> Scorpio, I take it all a little too seriously sometimes and when i work i can get really really frustrated with myself but my my frustration with myself has at times gotten me into trouble because it can be confused for frustration outward for the people around me and i remember having a moment like this in high school i think we were rehearsing a play called fuddy mirrors and joe kept me after rehearsal and i was i remember getting really frustrated with myself i couldn't get it and i was getting really terse and really tight you know really really pissed and um i remember joe kept me after rehearsal and he brought me to his office and that didn't happen you know that was like really different <laughs> and he was not a very like you know buddy buddy type teacher and i remember him saying you know you got to get your ego in check you're really good but um you got to be kind and you got to keep a positive attitude and i can't remember exactly the words but i know it was an ego conversation and it was you know, the results of that rehearsal where I'd gotten really frustrated. And I'll never forget that. That was an early lesson about kindness. And and just, I always have to remind myself not to get too caught up that at the end of the day, no matter what it is, no matter if it's Angels in America, you know, you're putting on a play. You're not discovering the vaccine for COVID. You know, you're not hustling to make meat products or car parts or masks. You're putting on a play. And, you know, that's what they call non-essential these days <laughs> and you know so joe you know took that moment to remind me that it's all cool it's all good just to breathe and to never forget you know to be kind especially to yourself that's the thing i have to remember the most so connor you were in college when we met because we met doing a regional show and i remember during that time you also had a audition for west side story I think it was the Broadway tour. And I believe you ended up oh getting gosh. it and you ended up turning it down because you wanted to finish college, which at the time I remember being this like feisty girl right out of college and being like, what? He got this Broadway tour. How could he possibly turn it down? What an amazing opportunity. And it turned out to be the perfect choice for you. Why was it so important for you to finish college? Oh my God. I cannot believe you remember that. I forget everything that you've experienced with me. And you also did you came to Michigan and you saw Spring Awakening, didn't you? Yeah, I came and visited you and you, yeah, you started Spring Awakening. Oh and actually, God. I found a clip that I may play of you, you and Lame Miz singing Bring Him Home when you were in college. Oh my gosh. So fierce. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Okay, wait, the question was um, West Side Story. Yeah, so my gosh, shout out to Paul Hart, casting director, still a good friend. You and I were doing Chicago at West Virginia Public Theater and I went to New York and I got it. And I, you know, I, I think the reason I wanted to stay in school, well, first of all, that my teachers 
put the fear of God in me. They were like, Mr. Wagner, Professor Brent Wagner, the head of Michigan at the time, was like, how dare you even audition for this? West Side Story has been touring the country for 50 years. It will continue to do so after you graduate. You must get your college degree. You know, you've only been with us for a year. You have so much more to learn. You have so much more to grow. And he was right. You know, he was right. And thankfully, he was also right about even auditioning too, because thankfully the casting director, Paul Hart, was super generous and understanding about, you know, the decision that I had to make. And he was super respectful of the decision that I made to stay in school. And the fact that basically, you know, I had wasted his time in auditioning for Baby John in the West Side Story tour. But, you know, it it all worked out. You know, I got my degree and I went back to school and I, and especially that sophomore year was a really, really great. I mean, all of college was so awesome. I learned so much that sophomore year and I got to do so much. And, you know, I always wonder like, you know, what might've happened had, had I done that? But, you know, can't take it back, right? What are some of your most memorable Michigan experiences? Oh, my God. There's so many. It was such an amazing time. I I got to do some really awesome parts. Like, you know, my senior year, I got to do, I absurdly got to play Jean Valjean in Les Mis. That was awesome. Side note, fun fact, Erica Henningsen, who was in my class, who played Fontaine, like six months later, replaced Casey Levy as Fontaine on Broadway. Wow. Just straight to the top. It was, yeah. She's a star. I was Melchior in Spring Awakening. Maggie saw that. That was a really special one. College just in general was like such an amazing time. You know, I went to Catholic University where the program is fine, but seeing the the elaborate production value that I saw at Michigan, it was just, it just made me so happy and filled with joy. And I just sat there thinking, wow, I can't even imagine being able to have this experience. And everyone in the show was so talented in walking through the halls and seeing the theaters. And it was just wonderful. Yeah, it was like it was so always so fun to have anybody visiting because it's just Ann Arbor such an awesome town and yeah I mean just you guys college was college was awesome I would so so recommend college in general and also University of Michigan go blue <laughs> so right after college you you made your Broadway debut in Cinderella what was that like two weeks after you graduated yeah that was <laughs> the craziest summer of my life that all happened so fast i remember i didn't have a place to live yet so i was i remember i would be waiting for the train at grand central at like midnight one in the morning after having seen the show in rehearsals during the day seeing the show at night i would leave during the bows and go try to catch the next train to bronxville where my friends had a little studio apartment that I could stay at, um, friends of the family. And I would be eyes closed, headphones in, waltzing by myself, going through the choreo in Grand Central Station, waiting for the train. Like I'd be on the train platform going through it like, oh my God, it was so scary to be put into a pre-existing production. That's the only time I've ever done that terrifying oh my god my broadway debut was like i was shot out of a cannon like boom this is broadway boom this is new york 
boom, this is working professionally. Get it done quick. For those for those who don't know, why don't you just let our listeners know who you were playing in this uh, little production of Cinderella on the Broadway? I was in the ensemble and I uh, understudied Prince Topher. Yeah, I was put into the ensemble within like two weeks. And I actually, I actually never rehearsed for Prince Topher because I wasn't there quite long, long enough to rehearse. But I was initially hired to be the cover for the Prince. And was it Santino Fontana? Was it that who was playing the Prince at the time, or no? It it wasn't at the time. It was gotcha. um, he had been replaced by actually my college classmate um, Joe Carroll, who was two years above me at Michigan. Yeah, really full circle to be on Broadway two weeks after graduating, understudying a kid I was on stage with in Ann Arbor two years before. He was the he was the lead of Full Monty, and I was the like the Chippendale stripper at the beginning of the of the show. If, if you know Full Monty, Kino, Kino, that's Kino? right, that's right. <laughs> you know Spiro. <laughs> Yeah, um, I got that Broadway knowledge. Yeah, so that was crazy summer. Whoa, crazy pants. And fun fact, the the kid that I was replacing who had left to do Pippin, also in the class two years above me at Michigan, Sam Lips. Wow. And when I went to finish my final callback, and the next day they were like, yeah, we think we want you, but we just need you to go to the theater and try on Sam Lips' costumes. So you you finish doing Cinderella and now you have a, a reputation and you really enjoy doing like new works. What is your attraction to new works? And can you talk about maybe a new work experience that you've had in the past that you really love that, that you'd like to like feature? Well, it's funny that you say that. I don't really think of myself as like having a reputation of doing new work, but I guess maybe I do because when I really do think about it a lot of what I've done has been new work I mean to be honest I always that was always really 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 what interested me like doing new work that I could have the potential to originate and you know my dream was always to like originate something on Broadway or of course TV and film is also a a dream too but anyways I was always drawn to new work so much so that when I left Cinderella that summer when I put in my notice it was because I had been offered something that I had actually been on auditioning for at the same time that I had been auditioning for Cinderella and I had initially not gotten. It was a new show at the public theater, which was like totally a dream place to work for me at the time. And still, I mean, just I I had always dreamed of working there. It was this new musical Fortress of Solitude. And I think that I try to pretend like nobody cares and it's all water under the bridge and 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 all that. And and I believe that to a certain extent, but I I do sort of feel like making the choice to leave a Broadway show to do a new work off Broadway for way less than half the money. I think maybe I sort of inadvertently made a statement about my values and my priorities as an actor. And maybe that maybe that had some effect on what else comes your way. I mean, because, you know, I haven't I haven't been on Broadway since since that I haven't booked a Broadway show. So I don't know. It's interesting, interesting thing to think about. But yeah, I love doing new work. And I've really enjoyed all the new work that I've gotten to do, you know, everything from readings and workshops to out of town tryouts. The last thing I did before all this COVID madness, you know, came crashing down upon us was another new hopeful Broadway bound musical called Bliss, um, which was an amazing amazing experience. I got to I got to do a production of a musical based on John Krakauer's book Into the Wild. That was a really really 
sort of life-changing experience came at a really at a moment in my life that it felt like I really needed something like that something to really pour myself into that I would say out of all the new work I've gotten to do that was probably the most challenging and the most rewarding because of how hard I worked on it (laughs) I remember you told me you went to you sang it like an open mic or a 54 below or something like that and someone saw you in the audience and they asked you if you would come in to fur into the wild and you ended up getting it and the way you talked about that experience even though it was you know relatively small theater in Michigan it was so beautiful because it really impacted your soul and you could just tell how invigorated you were when you came back and you would share the clips actually I have a clip let's play it right now So you sound, I mean, obviously you sound like a dream, but why, why did this production mean so much to you? You know, real talk, like to be all the way honest, like I had worked in a year. It was the first time that had happened. I had gone through this big breakup and I felt really sort of sad and broken. And I was living out in um, near Prospect Park. And I, I remember like I... I stopped getting a Metro card. I, did, I was like, I'm only going to go into the city if I have an audition. I'm going to hunker down in this neighborhood. I got a hot yoga membership at the local hot yoga <laughs> studio. And I was doing that like five times a week. And I got a job as a barista at the at the coffee shop down the block to sort of just like integrate myself in the community and like have something to do. And I got a therapist that was walking distance. And I just like, I was in this really like for the first time, sort of really self-reflective, sort of isolated kind of place in my life. And lo and behold, I get this audition for Into the Wild, which was a book that I had read in high school. I think it was a really important book to my big brother, Miguel, and you know, a book that I'd always really loved. And just like, I got the audition and I just like, Oh, it's like, I don't know if you've ever had those auditions where you're just like, this one? Yeah. Please, any, I will do anything for <laughs> this one. This one, I will give up all the other ones if I just, <laughs> please. I wanted it so bad. I, I've never, probably never worked so hard on an audition. I ended up getting it and, and, that, seriously, that experience of going out there and doing that, it's so reinvigorated me artistically. I got so into such good singing shape and just my, all, I felt like all my tools were sharpened, firing better than ever. And I came back to New York, just like super pumped to audition with that energy. And I've, I don't know if you've ever felt that. I know we've all felt that slump of like, oh my God, auditioning sucks. Mm-hmm. But like once in a while, you get that moonbeam like, ray of hope and you're just like you know what right now i got this throw me an audition like let's go i don't know if you've ever been in that like zone but i was in that zone after that after into the wild and that character kind of reminds me of you in ways i mean it's based on (laughs) the story this guy he i don't know if you would ever really do this but he pretty much just let go of society and decided to just live off of the earth and i don't know that you would ever do it but yeah what are you saying about me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean, Maggie? 
<laughs> surrounded by your plants. Yeah. Surrounded by your plants and animals and just living off of the wild. I remember reading the book and, and being really inspired because it's something I could never do. I think I, I'm more in your camp, to be honest. I don't I think I think also it was something that really inspired me because it's that's not something I could ever do. <laughs> but like I mean I mean I'm kinda into like camping, but I'm not I'm not like a real I feel like I look more like an outdoorsman than I actually am. <laughs> like don't get me wrong, I love like a Polaroid of the Grand Canyon, but <laughs> I definitely think you know I you know I grew up in California and Colorado. I definitely am the, you know, the child of hippie generation parents. And I definitely, all that stuff, all that anarchist kind of crunchy granola. I'm definitely a fan of that stuff. But I, at the end of the day, I could never live anywhere else other than New York City. And I definitely do not think Chris, Chris McCandless could have handled much time in New York City. But I do, you know, I, I think there's something really universal about the coming of age story and the wanting to get away from it all to be able to find yourself, which is kind of an apropos subject right now because we're all jailed up in our own homes alone and getting this forced sort of self-reflective time, you know, might be a good time to read Into the Wild by John Krakauer. <laughs> well, since that time, you've also had some amazing theatrical experiences as far as your resume goes. I mean, you even, they just played it on Easter again. You had the opportunity to work with John Legend, Sarah Bareilles, and Jesus Christ Superstar live. Can you talk a little bit about what that audition process was like and what that experience was like for you? Oh my God. Yeah. I have some of the best pictures ever because of you, Spiro. Talk about another life-changing experience. Yeah. And I and you can you can talk to anybody who worked on that show. You can talk to a stage manager. You can talk to Mark Platt, the producer. You can talk to John Legend. You can talk to the dancers, right. the ensemble. You can talk to the the costumers, the wig people, the the stagehands. That was a special moment. Everything the energy around that whole production was just so good. Everyone was so happy to be there and to be a part of it. It was just like, oh, I wish everything could be like that. The set designer, Jason, he's designed our set for Bliss in Seattle. And out in Seattle, we were talking about it. I was like, I was like, wasn't that incredible? Like he was just like, yeah, like that was like life-changing. That was the best experience of my life. Talk about that set that he designed for that. Oh my God. There's not much to say about the auditions. It was um, pretty quick. Like Telsey, I was, I think, uh, uh, I, I initially auditioned for Peter, who was played by uh, Jason Tam beautifully, who I adore. And I think I got like a callback for Peter and I came in and when I, I, I finished singing, could we start again, please? And they were like, would you sing the ensemble side? And I was like, hell yes, I would. And yeah, got it. But the, the thing about the rehearsal process was this was super dope, you guys. This was amazing. I don't know why they decided to do it this way, but John was available for two weeks. And then he had this Asian tour. And then he was going to be available for like the five days leading up to Easter, the actual taping. But for the majority of the, of the time, right before the taping, like the month before the taping, he was going to be in Asia. So they chose 10 of us. There was a, an ensemble, I think of like 40 or something. It was huge, but they chose 10 of us to rehearse alone with John for the first two weeks and then brought in the rest of the entire ensemble. And we got to, with John, pretty much do the whole show because we did everything that Jesus 
was in. We choreographed and staged and sculpted sort of a, a skeleton of the entire show, just 10 of us, with John. Um, anything that anything that Jesus was in, which is almost everything. And then when the rest of the ensemble came in two weeks later, John was there for one day. He he met everybody. We, the 10 of us, got to put on this like little mini show for them of the whole show, but just the 10 of us, which was so weird when I think back, like for them to have to sit and watch. But it was a really cool experience at the time because I was getting to perform with John Legend, like alone with John Legend. And he's so nice. Oh my God. Talk about somebody who is just like so grounded, so at peace, just like, oh. And he's like, you know, surrounded by like, he had like a posse with him every day, but all those guys are super nice. Like Mike, his like right-hand man, they're all super nice guys. And I remember the first thing I ever said to him was the day we were the leper sequence. Oh, that was like my favorite part. Like I, I love like, like weird and twisted and like physical. I was so into it. And we, the day that we staged that, we just kept running it over and over and over and by the time we were like we had just finished it we're exhausted covered in sweat you know what i mean and like the whole that whole sequence is like you know see my eye like an early you're just like rubbing on jesus grabbing jesus grabbing jesus and there was only 10 of us right and we're doing it like 20 times and i'm like super into it so i'm like covered in sweat and we finish it like literally on top of him we finish it and they're like all right let's run it again and i'm like and it i don't know if you remember it started an overhead shot right yeah it was an overhead shot with the guitarist in the center and all of us ensemble members were off stage but it was it was sort of in the round right so in the rehearsal studio we were all entered from different when they when they'd be like go back to the top we'd all go to our separate entrances alone where we're gonna crawl in and enter from where eventually by the end of it we all come into the center on the cross and like and are mm-hmm. touching jesus and i happen to be also in the corner where john enters from so this is like my one moment like alone with him and i'm just like it was the first time i had ever said something just just like talk to him and i was just like hey john and he was like <laughs> he was like yo what's up and i was like I'm really sorry about the sweat. (laughs) And he was like, oh, Connor, you're good, man. You're good. And I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, my God, he knows my name. He knows my name. That's so funny, Connor. You're so funny. He had some really hard songs to sing. I always wondered if he was nervous. Yeah, no. I remember um, the first music rehearsal when we were doing, like, The Last Supper when he and Judas like go off at each other, we were doing that like as a music rehearsal, like in chairs at music stands around the table or around the piano. And he was like looking in his music. And like, I remember moments of like those really high moments when it's like, Don't me! Or, like whatever he just, he, I remember him just like floating up and being like, and like, you know, putting it in his, in his head voice and Nigel, the music director being like, yeah, like that's supposed to be big. And John just being like, no, no, I'm not going to do it like that. And he sounded so good his way. I loved him so much in that production. I so respected him just being like, no, I'm going to do it my way. Like this is the John Legend as Jesus production of Jesus Christ Superstar. But he also was perfect. Like he was a perfect Jesus. I mean, I know he's John Legend, but I thought he was an amazing Jesus. I really did. I agree because like he had as somebody of that 
height of celebrity, you know what I mean? Like that that level of fame, he has that kind of aura around him. Like when you're in the same room, I mean, I don't know what it was like to know actual Jesus, but I bet it was like super like, you know, that person is just like got this special aura and and this glow, you know, and, and he has that. And it's not even just that he's so famous and that it's like, oh my God. It, I mean, a, a big portion of it is that it's like, oh my God, that's John Legend, like right there. That's him, you know, but he also has like, just like grounded soul. He's so he seems just tapped into something where he just knows everything's going to be okay, you know, and he's just really at peace and really kind. Talk about kindness. Yeah. He's really kind person. I remember the one day he had lunch with us, we were all sitting around and he was talking about star signs and he was like, yeah, I'm I'm a Taurus. And he asked me, what are you? And I was like, I'm a Scorpio. (laughs) And I remember him being like, oh, y'all are crazy. Kanye's a Scorpio. And he was like, all the Scorpios I know are crazy. Like Kanye is crazy. And I just remember in that moment being like, wow, like for one split second, we were all having lunch and it felt like maybe we were all like the same. (laughs) Just a casual, just a casual name drop of Kanye West to remind you that no. That that's his world. That is so funny. So as we come to a close here, would there be any advice that you would give to musical theater college students who are about to move to New York and pursue this crazy dream? Broadway isn't everything. Go see as much off-Broadway as you can and know thyself. Be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else, but just lean into what feels good to you, what feels right to you. Stop trying to sound like Sutton Foster. Stop trying to dance like Cheetah Rivera. Like figure out what feels right to you because mm. they want they that's that's the juice. That's the jam. That's like that that's the magic. You're not tapped into like the real stuff until you just tap into yourself. I think that's sort of it. Yeah. We also like to shout out some charities. So uh, did you have a charity that you'd like to maybe shout out to the cool kids? Yeah. Covenant House. I don't know if that's ever been um, mentioned on your- It has not. They do a lot for homeless youth. I just discovered them this past year when Michael sang at a benefit for them. And I was so unbelievably floored by the kids that came up and sang and performed and talked about their lives. And I honestly, I see a lot of homeless people in New York every day, but I wasn't aware of how many young children are homeless. And Mm. I was just so unbelievably taken aback by all the work that celebrities do and, and everybody in New York that contributes to them. They do these sleep outs where they basically stay out in the streets of New York to raise money and raise awareness for the cause. I really had no idea that this was such a, a problem, specifically with with kids. Yeah. Giving to charity isn't just about donating money. Sometimes it's just about raising awareness. So for the people that haven't looked at the Covenant House, they're going to take a gander at the website. We'll put a link in the show notes and people can get an idea of ways they can support that aren't necessarily money related. So thank you. Thank you guys. We're going to do some winging it. Winging it. They're just winging it. Winging it. They're just winging it. 
so for today's winging it we decided to play a ridiculous game with you because why the hell not and it's quarantine and this game is in honor of all those weird google searches that people are conducting on their computers so what we okay. did was we're going to share the beginning of a google search with you and you're going to try and guess the top three answers that came up for that search so it's pretty much like a family feud but with google searches Pretty much, we're going to give you what the beginning of the Google search was, and you just have to come up with guesses as to what you think the top three searched items were. You get a lot right, Connor. You get absolutely nothing. Yeah, oh, so shit. the stakes right. are higher than ever. The first one, what happens when you blank? Die. Yes, that was number yes. one. <laughs> I get to guess the other two? Yeah, take a guess. Um, Get COVID-19. No. Have sex? I wouldn't have guessed it. It's what happens when you quit smoking and block someone on Snapchat. Very important questions. Oh, wow. Block someone on Snapchat. Wow. Very niche market there. How do you know if you dot, dot, dot? Are dying? No. Close. (laughs) Really close? How do you know if you have COVID-19? Yes. That's the number one answer. Yes. What would be a close second? How do you know if you are sick? Have herpes or bed bugs? Oh, okay. The next Google search is, why do I blank? (laughs) Why do I love cigarettes? No. Keep eating? (laughs) Have to pay rent. Yeah, I wonder that one too. But the answers were, why do I feel dizzy? Why do I fart so much? And why do I sweat so much? Oh. I think I might be a dot, dot, dot. Homosexual? No. Uh, You definitely are, Connor. I'm sorry to break it to you. I think it might be true. I think I might be a genius. Oh my God. Yes, that's number three. (laughs) I think I might be a um, psychopath. Sociopath. A sociopath. Wow. Sociopath. Wow. All right. Sociopath. We'll give it to you. We'll count it. We'll count it. I think I might be a sociopath. I think I might be. What was the third? Genius. Genius. I might be a genius. Okay. I think I might be a narcissist. Yes. yes! Bitch. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe, maybe I'm all three. And they're all related. <laughs> I might be a sociopath. I might be a genius. He called me a dot dot dot. Bitch. No. Google search. Psycho. No. Nope. She called me a narcissist, sociopath, <laughs> genius. She called me a loser. Democrat. The second one really makes me laugh. It's she called me a steed. A steed. <laughs> like a, <laughs> like a, a noble steed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then she called me a dork. Was the yep. number three. Oh, okay. Loser, dork, same diff. Oh, uh, well, Connor. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, what is Connor, it? it was such a joy to have you, my dear. Literally the last thing, I was leaving your wedding. And I was like, gosh, this was such a great night. And you were like in your wedding dress, surrounded by your family and friends. <laughs> like people are asking to take pictures with you. And you were like, yeah, so let's do the podcast sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. I will not forget because you're in your wedding dress and I will not forget. Okay. Well, what's what's honestly funny though, we talk about it in the intro, Connor. We literally made this episode as an, as an idea of like, what should we do for a podcast? And we were like, if we had Connor Ryan on the podcast, this is what it would be. 
Oh my gosh, are you kidding? That's that's like the best compliment ever. Are you serious? I love this podcast. The first idea we ever had. Oh, we love you so much, Connor. Your story is amazing. Your journey is amazing. We're so thankful. You're so kind, so sweet, so handsome, so talented. It's all wonderful. I love you guys. So good to see you and to hear you and excited to contribute to the podcast. Thank you and stay safe, stay kind, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me again. Love of you course. Guys. We love you, bud. The Cool Kids Table is executive produced by Spiro Marcos and Maggie Stiggers. Music is by Bree Cade and Zach Silva. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe, download, and share this podcast with a friend. Also, check out our sketch show, Theater School Dropouts, currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and RFB is no exception. We want you to know that we've made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their home studios or by selecting the best rebroadcast for their past shows. With most our venue streams evaporated, we really need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way towards helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. There, you'll find some t-shirts, mugs, and other swag we'd love to send your way. You also can use your phone to text RFBGIVE5 to 44321. It only takes a moment and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to amazon.com slash smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to RFB and cost you nothing. No donation is too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish all of our listeners health and happiness as we weather this storm together. (laughs) 